The following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Comey Snake. Welcome back to Escape from New York Minute, where we celebrate and analyze the dystopian classic One Minute at a Time. I'm Eric Deutsch. And I'm Molly Balin. And two very special guests today, all the way across the far reaches of the ocean from <laughs> Bat Minute, Niall McGowan and John Parker. Welcome to prison. I've never been welcomed to prison. I'm, I'm usually thrown <laughs> in and beaten on my first day. Well, I mean, that's quite relevant for, uh, for this minute. I guess. Actually, that's it's true, actually because this minute starts with someone getting beaten. We, 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 were, we, we ended our last minute with someone getting beaten, and then that same beating is taking place. And uh, the minute ends with a scraggly guy singing America's presidential theme. I, I cannot wait to get into this guy, because once I looked into the fellow playing him, he became my my hero. Like this guy it was like, I, what a career this fellow had! This is amazing. Oh yes, yes, this guy is huge. And as as I said, as the minute starts, we we pick up where we left off in last minute. Uh, someone's getting their head bashed in. Snake decides that to go in and save him because he thinks it's the president. And I gotta say that this guy goes down pretty easy because it looks to me on several viewings here, Snake basically just kicks him in the ass and the guy just runs away. Well, I mean, I'd be scared. If I turned around and saw this guy coming at me with an eye patch on and stuff, I'd, I'd run. I don't care. One of the worst sound effects <laughs> I've ever heard as well. When he came. It really is just like, oh, yeah, this is from like standard sound effects, num- volume six, that John Carpenter picked up at like, a garage sale at some point. Where he's like, it's like, yeah, I'll shove that in somewhere. <laughs> the, the beating itself, though, I, I actually found that quite horrific. I thought that looked pretty brutal. It was quite realistic. Yes, and the, and the sound we talked about this in the last minute. The sound is like it sounds like you know meat getting slapped or something like that. Well, that was my my thinking was like maybe originally John Carpenter had this in mind as being more of like a um, like a Pulp Fiction esque situation where maybe it wasn't the guy's head getting beaten. It was something more uh, hor- horrific. <laughs> And then they decided, like, you know what, maybe let's go for something a little less, uh, you know, uh, disturbing. Where, like, they could, have, they could have gone down a different road, basically. Are, are, you, are you referring to the gimp scene from Pulp Fiction? Yeah, yeah. Like, this could have been a Marcellus Wallace kind of discovery when Snake comes in. But I think maybe then they decided, like, no, nah, it might be a bit too much. So let's just back it off into... Because the guy is so okay when once he's just like, yes... Yeah, it really was like a tenderizer just slapping on a, a side of beef or something. I guess maybe this is like this, these guys Friday night. Like, that's just like, this is what we do. There's nothing else to do in this goddamn city. Like, it's what you do for fun. It's just a laugh, you know. Oh, I'll get him <laughs> tomorrow in return. It's fine. Well, also, I mean, the guy's obviously fairly certain, either very mentally deranged, severely drunk, or both. So that could also explain why mentally this is completely unaffecting him. Well, the guy beating him has like no joy in it it's like a job it's like he's clocked in like at five o'clock he's supposed to be downstairs to beat someone's ass over a sink and so he's just you know there's no passion in it it's just like yep we're 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 knocking this out or he's like collecting a debt it's that type of there's some sort of bookie you know 
pseudo prison owes him money. You've got a guy to come in to rough him up, and he's just like, ah, this is just what I do, you know? It could be as well that like this guy's got the the president's thing. Maybe he is getting something out of getting this beating. Like he's like, oh yeah, I enjoy getting my head knocked in. So he's been like, I'm the president. I I order you. Like it's a governmental order to come up and do this. And the other guy's like, all right, I guess this is this is what I'm doing tonight. Well, you can't refuse the president. Yeah, it's like he has got the thing. He doesn't look like the president, but he I don't know. That president was clean shaven and bald, but maybe if his hair grew out, <laughs> this could be the same guy. Well, and to Molly's point, I mean, the guy's just so methodical. Like he's winding up as he's pitching, as he's like he's pitching, you know, winding up, taking the arm way up, and then boom, and then again. Uh, it's like a nice, slow, steady rhythm with his punches. It's very unique. Yeah. That it's not. It's not what you'd normally see in a beating scene in a film. Do you want to get into who who the actor is? Because yeah, yeah, it's it's we, it's such a great moment. You know, Snakes is Mr. President, and and as the viewer, we think, oh, okay, Snakes found the president. Now they have to get out of the prison and it's just such a great movie moment of this guy turning around with the big goofy smile and the beard and the, <laughs> the, the screwed up teeth and he's like eh, I'm the president <laughs> <laughs> this is like half the audience is going like Donald Pleasance really let himself go <laughs> since the start of the movie <laughs> and what I mean I just I wonder what the story is and he's like you know I woke up and there it was it was a miracle and it's like why did this guy end up with not only the president wristband, but he's got the coat on too. Um, the script actually specifically makes note that he's wearing the president's coat, and the next time we see the president, he he doesn't have it. So the president is coatless. What, you know, we get no back. Yeah, we get no backstory of why this is the guy that ended up with this stuff on him. Yeah, I guess he was just the closest in proximity. Guy, he'll, he'll How did he get the um, the wristband off the president? Because surely that looks like something That's what I'm that would be we locked. Just, we just don't know. Yeah, we just don't know. And, uh, I don't want to jump ahead too much, but when uh, when that bracelet is removed, it comes off remarkably easily. Yeah, it, it's. I, I'm glad you said that because there's a major design flaw yes. on this thing that Snake slams it and everything goes dead. And then back in the control room, everyone flips out and the doctor's like, oh, well, maybe it's just a design. You know, the mechanism might have just been impacted itself. If so... That's a huge design flaw that should have been fixed before yeah, it went Considering what this is used for, hang on, it kind of needs to be sturdy. Unless it was really sturdy, and they took ages getting it off the president, and then they just kind of, like, got some, like, duct tape and just kind of lightly attached it to this guy. <laughs> so that's why it comes... But it could have been like, oh, yeah, the president were, like, at that for, like, with a hacksaw for friggin' hours trying to get that thing off. Plus, Snake's that masculine, you know, he just he just has to tap it on the side of the sink and it comes off because he's so hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, my question was, if this is supposed to be monitoring his vitals, right? And so they had to remove it and then get it on to this guy. Wouldn't it have gone dead at some point in the transition? Because it wasn't detecting anything? And why did people not get concerned? So everybody freaks out at this point because it's been hit and it goes dead. But wouldn't they also have been freaked out? When the transfer happened, point, actually, hang on, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess unless they were, this, they they could tell. Like, it's like we need to get this thing as soon as it's off and get it on somebody else within like half a second, basically, because otherwise people are gonna freak out. So, like, they had their wrists right next to each other and just like like when oh, it's like uh like at the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark when Indy transfers no. the bag oh. of sand. Right there, you go. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm trying to think of an explanation for that. I guess they could. Um... Oh, I can't. <laughs> maybe they, maybe they did sort of freak out a little bit, but because it then, you know, a few seconds later came back on, they're like, "Oh, it's fine, it's fine. It must have just uh, had some interference or so." And now it's doing it a second time. It's like, "Oh, it, it, it shouldn't do it twice. There's something up." Plus, I think like there must be thing like, "Oh, well, Snake's closer. Like he didn't kill the president, did he? Yeah. Like within <laughs> like he was getting there, and all of a sudden, like, oh, he's offline. Oh, damn it, Snake!" <laughs> <laughs> I like the way you almost quoted oh, sorry, Metal Gear Solid Pliskin. there. Because that's what happens when you die in Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> a snake! But this fellow playing the uh, the bum. Yeah, let's get into uh, him. George Buck yeah. Flower. What, what a career this guy had. Like, this was... Because he's in, like, what's the... He's in, like, over 100 movies. But that's not all he did. Like, he's... Uh, let's see what the official number was uh, on IMDb. As an actor, 159 movies he was in. Uh, including the classics uh, Mac and Me, uh, Wishmaster, Tammy and the T-Rex, which is an amazing movie where uh, Denise Richards is dating Paul Walker, but he dies and has his brain put in a giant robot T-Rex. That's what I want to happen to me when I'm gone. Wow. I think they recently announced, too, that they're releasing a new cut where it's like, like 18 certificate R-rated, because I think they cut it way down to make it like a family movie. And then they're like, no, we always originally intended for it to be a horror film. So now we're re-releasing it with all the stuff and presumably in tribute to Paul Walker. I don't know. But the, and he's also in the fantastically named Nerds of a Feather, which is uh, something I'm really going to have to seek out just for the title alone. And he's, and he's a big John Carpenter guy, too. He, uh, he, he's in They Live. He's the guy that, like a, a drifter that then meets uh, the heroes later on in the movie, and he's all cleaned oh, himself yeah. up. He was in The Fog, he's in Starman, he's in Village of the Damned, so he's one of those John Carpenter guys. Oh, yeah, and most people would definitely know his face because he's in Back to the Future. Yes. He's, the, he's playing the bum in that, the crazy Does he just play drivers, yep. basically? <laughs> <laughs> yes, in fact, I, I looked up, I, I love when we get these guys like this who built a whole career out of this. <laughs> Here are some of the roles that he has played in that hundred and plus whatever roles. So he's been a beggar twice. He's been a drunk twice, including this role here. He's been a drunk gambler. He's been a drunken oh, man. Oh. He's been a drifter. <laughs> he's been a flasher. Oh. He's been a guy giving directions. <laughs> he's been a tramp, a homeless man twice, and a wino twice. I like the way the wino is different than the drunk. <laughs> or he's a drunken man or one of just drunken man so he's more than just a drunk he's well a drunken he could man. be playing you know mm. we i'm not going to assume his gender here i don't know so you need to be specific i need to know if he's a drunk man <laughs> or if he's a wino i like the idea i like the idea that him playing a wino was him getting like no it's a classier part <laughs> like a drunk is a guy who gets drunk on anything a wino is very like it's him in a tuxedo just like eh. <laughs> Well, that's what happens to him, and that's what happens to him. And they live. His his role there is drifter, and he is he's just some drifter. And then and near the end, suddenly he's in like this nice suit, and he's all cleaned up, and he's he's got a drink in his hand, and he's showing Rowdy Piper all around uh, the facility. Oh, I, I knew yeah, I recognized yeah. him. You know, I'm obsessed with that movie. Niall, you're not so keen on it, are you? But I genuinely I watched it because I thought they live is it's going to be funny. It's going to be like so bad it's good. And then when I watched it, I was like, oh no, I actually just love every second of this genuinely, not ironically. <laughs> I'm on your no, side. I'm on your side. No, see, I, I really like the, the the fight, and I love the concept of they live. 
I think the idea behind it's great. But it's just like, for, it's only like an 80-minute movie, but it feels like it's like about two and a half hours long. It's so slow. It's so, <laughs> it takes its time. Getting, and it's really like, I don't mind that if it's like, you know, you're still entertained. But this was just like, nah, man, you need to get, you gotta get moseying with this movie well, here. It's interesting but, you said that, though, that it's slow. Because I rewatched this for the first time in like 15 years, right? Um, actually, just before being invited on the show, weird coincidence, I was like, I'm going to watch that again. Hmm. And um, I love this, but I, I could see some people these days not enjoying the pace of the movie because this film is quite slow as well. Like, because in my mind, it was an action movie, but it's really not. There's, there's not that much action. It's like all very slow and about the, the ambience and things like that, which I love. But I don't know. If you show it to some young mm-hmm. people now, they might be uh, they might not be so keen. <laughs> I don't know. Well, that kind of brings up a question, and that's something you know we've asked some guests in the past. That John Carpenter considers this a sci-fi movie, and I'm wondering what you guys think of that. How do you see it? I would put it in just like you know dystopian movie. Like it's kind of I guess you could say yeah. it's sci-fi because it's. You know, there is scientific advancements that might not have existed back in, like, the late 70s, early 80s. And, but, like, yeah, it's more like it's in that, that sci-fi subgenre of dystopian movies for, for me. But it would never be like, oh, it's crazy. There's, like, spaceships and lasers and stuff. <laughs> but I guess, like, a lot of the transport is, like, I guess it's kind of spaceship-ish. So but it's just sort of a, be, I... a quasi-futuristic, even though it's in 1997. <laughs> it was futuristic at the time, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> That's the one one rule of thumb. It's like if you're a film director, never date your ah. future movie like just around the corner. Particularly if you're gonna go this crazy with it, like because now this is future. like this is yeah. It's just now it's just like oh that was like twenty odd years ago. To be fair, like my hometown in you know Shaban in Northern Ireland in 1997, it did look like this. <laughs> but oh, you know, no. That's... <laughs> that was pre Good Friday Agreement. That's much more cleaned up wow. since then. I'm getting political. <laughs> <laughs> but not to drag us back too much though because that, that, beyond the acting of uh, George Buck Flower uh, he has quite the, the writing career too because basically he seems like he was a, a porno writer like amongst other things he wrote uh, Taking It Off Out West uh, <laughs> these take like an afternoon Hell's Bells write, come on <laughs> That's the thing you wouldn't really think a porn would would have a writer, but I guess in theory you do need a writer because someone has to write the dialogue. But can you really consider <laughs> someone a writer if that's what they're writing? Yeah, yeah isn't that more of like an outline situation? Yeah, generic kind of gist to what's going on. Well, yeah, just ad lib, ad lib it. It's fine. Improv classes. That's what porn stars take, right? But you also wrote uh, <laughs> Hell's Bells, the Bikini Car Wash Company one and two. Oh, that that. Much uh, loved wow. uh, he wrote Party Plane, which in As Is Our Want on Bat Minute has a direct connection because Party Plane also starred an actor called Travis McKenna, who was the uh, the clown that the penguin shoots at near the end of Batman Returns and like rolls his body into the sewer water. That guy was in Party Plane. So it's all wow. connected, baby. <laughs> ah. Wow. And, be, and also, amongst all this stuff, like, he wrote something called The Woolly Boys, which seems like it's actually, like, a like a nice family movie. This, the plot is a sheep rancher's visit to the big city 
triggers a mischievous adventure with his teenage computer whiz grandson. And that stars Chris Christopherson and Peter Fonda with Joseph Maslow from Jurassic Park. What? Yeah. He wrote that? Apparently, yeah. So Wait, but Peter Fonda was in that? (laughs) I think Peter Fonda, though, because he was in that Thomas the Tank Engine movie and stuff. Like, Peter Fonda got to a stage where he's like, you know what? I'll be in whatever. Case in point, Peter Fonda is also in Escape from L.A. Yes, he is. Which is is proof of just like, hey, you cash the check to my bank. I don't care. I'll be in whatever you want. (laughs) I'll tell you what, it's been even longer since I've seen Escape from L.A., Dare I watch it just for completion's sake? Hmm. No. (laughs) I don't remember enjoying it even when I was a kid. Molly and I are not shy about the fact that we are not doing the sequel. We do not like the sequel. We don't want to talk about the sequel. Or, or, well, we can talk about it, but only if the talk (laughs) is negative. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say a single (laughs) positive thing, so you're safe there. You say that. Like, I have seen Escape from L.A. more times than I've seen Escape from New York. So I, I enjoy Escape from L.A. Like, wow. Because it's a flamboyantly stupid, terrible movie. Like it's, it's got him surfing down a freeway, for Christ's sake, at one point. It's, Th- that's, it's the scene with Peter, that's the scene with Peter Fonda. Peter Fonda's the yeah. surfer dude. And then it's just like, what else could Snake Plissken do? What if he won an impossible basketball match? That's what he should <laughs> well, see, be See, that, that shows just how things changed, right? Because none of that would even cross your mind in this movie. This character, this film, this uh, sort of pacing and things, you don't have people surfing <laughs> and stuff in this movie. No. And nor would you ever think it would happen. Well, because you'd have oh. to be insane to want to go surfing in the East River also. <laughs> Mm. Can't be any worse than the the waters around here, so it's fine. I don't know, man. You, you I, I, I live close to the water where I am in Brooklyn, and there are people that fish off a pier near me, and I just, Ooh. I, I, I just, you look down and you just, you can't see past the surface of the water. <laughs> Sounds similar. Uh, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, we have the Willamette River, and on occasion during the summers, the sewers will back up into it. And so they're like, oh, yeah, you don't want to swim in there. But it's like, if there's any possibility of that, maybe just pick another body of water. You know, <laughs> just do something else. On that happy note. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got, I got uh, one other note about our friend uh, Buck Flower here. He, didn't, oh, he wasn't always credited throughout his career as George Buck Flower. Sometimes he used different names. I didn't want to jump into the rabbit hole onto why. But sometimes he was Ernest Wall. Ooh. Sometimes he was Buck Flowers. He would pluralize himself. And this, to me, is the funniest. Sometimes he would be C.D. LaFleur, yes. but he would spell LaFleur different ways each time, though. So if you go to, like, IMDb, you see C.D. like L-A-L-F-L-E-U-R, or L-A-F-L-E-U-R-E, or L-A-F-L-E-U-E-R. Jesus and Christ. What the hell I- is going on? I can guarantee it's because he signed it one time and then he couldn't remember how he spelled it that first time. So every time it was like, oh, yeah, that's yeah, that's my name. Yeah, totally. Oh, see, I've got tons. Like, this, I went down a rabbit hole with this guy because, again, this, this guy's my hero now. He has a career that everyone should envy. He also wrote a movie called The Magic of the Golden Bear, colon, Goldie 3, wherein uh, when a sly magician casts a spell so that he can buy Goldie, the last golden bear... Jessie runs away with her pets. Hiding deep in the heart of the forest, the youngster meets a ghost man who believes all animals should be free. And this movie stars Cheech Marin and Mr. Oh, T. Oh, yes! 
<laughs> I must see this one. This, this guy sounds a bit, and just everything else about it. He just had a good company because, like, apparently he's also in uh, the Witch Who Came In from the Sea, which is like a really cool cult uh, kind of horror movie. Like, very surprisingly for the seventies, kind of like a feminist horror movie about like a you know a, a vengeful witch and stuff. But that was uh, directed by Matt Simber, who is the guy that basically Mark Maron's playing in Glow. Because Matt Simber in real life was the guy who helped start the gorgeous ladies of wrestling and stuff. Oh, okay. So this guy's tied into him, too. It's like, wow. what, a, what, a, what a cool life he must have had. Just like, yeah, I'm going to go off. I'll be in Back to the Future. And then I'm going to write a couple of pornos. <laughs> As you do. Then I'll hang out with John Carpenter again. <laughs> Might go to a taping of the... Because you told me that he wrote some pornos every time you're setting up another movie he did i keep thinking you're it's golden bear to me i was like oh yeah okay i can see a porno called golden bear i, I know what's going on there or then when you mentioned the woolly boys i was like all right that's got to be another porno the woolly people, boys people sure. are into bass yeah. you know it's a... yeah and, and, and they and, are and, and golden showers so there you go golden bear. There you go. but even just the little things on his, his imdb trivia is like he helped start the career of robert zadar who people might remember as the, the the villain from Samurai Cop, the guy with the huge chin. That's like he helped start his career. What did he do? Like, what, was he just like this guy's got a big chin? You should put him in loads of your movies. Like, what was going on? But also, just for the sake of completion, I will note that his part in The Fog, he played a character called Tommy Wallace, who of course is like John Carpenter's homeboy. He would like direct Halloween Three and. It and stuff like that. So he's obviously the character's named after Tommy Lee Walls, who like worked on this movie as well, I believe. So there's a whole bunch of little uh, little things, and I will say as well in 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 that vein, because Tommy Lee Walls was so tight with John Carpenter, within this minute, like when they show you the font of like the president's wristband thing, and then it cuts to the Tom Atkins. I was mm-hmm. getting so many insane Halloween 3 vibes because <laughs> that font is just the friggin' font that's all over Halloween 3. And then there's the main character from Halloween 3 running about. So it's kind of like Tommy Walls was like, I'm just going to take a couple of things out of it. Like, it'd be like going into your big brother's closet to steal his clothes, basically. <laughs> just like, yeah, I'm just borrowing this for the night. It's like, get your own style, Tommy. And Buckflower has a great singing voice because then he breaks into Hell to the Chief, but... Unfortunately, he doesn't know any of the rest of the words. He just does, you know. Be fair, knows more than I do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you guys are an Americans. You wouldn't know our our stupid presidential song. That's true. I didn't even know that's what it was. (laughs) Although I think I know. uh, Wait a minute now. Okay. Uh, What is that? I know that song. What is that song? That I just did. Is no. that the, uh, the theme <laughs> tune to uh, Goldie Three? No, no. That's a match of the day theme. Isn't that something from the UK? Probably. Rule Britannia. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I knew it was. You guys are making me think I was crazy. I knew it was something. No, no, no. I. I thought it was the theme tune to Match of the Day you're doing, which is like... Nobody will know what that is. Which is almost might as well be... <laughs> that might as well also be the English national anthem, the Match of the Day theme, because more people over here will probably know that than the actual yeah, It's basically anthem. it's the, uh, the highlights of the football. That's, that's what the show is. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> 
and things. Because I, I hate football, but I've had to sit through matches a day. Just if you live with people, if if one of them's a man, they'll probably make you watch <laughs> match of the day. And many of like, them, even one of the biggest football fans I know is like is a woman, and she would obsessively like record match of the day every Saturday night. So you had to sit and like there's match of the day one. And then match of the day two, which is just more highlights of football. There weren't enough in the one show. You need two. Yeah, so my weekends were frequently just like, I need to get out of this living room because I can't stand watching the goddamn football highlights anymore. All right, I quickly Wikipedia'd Rule Britannia. It was written, sent to music in 1740, and it is strongly associated with the Royal Navy, but also used by the British Army. Ah, I learned something today because I just always thought of it, yeah, like the Navy. Because it goes on about ruling the waves, which is the most absurd Concept. Ah, I can't remember all the lyrics now. The... I, I, we don't even know the lyrics to our national anthem. Nobody cares here. That's the thing. Everyone's apathetic. <laughs> See, I, I just associate now because it's an episode of Frasier where him, Frasier and Niles are vying for a position of corkmaster with their wine club, and they have the the um, inauguration song of the corkmaster is you know hail corkmaster the master of the cork. He knows which one goes with fish and which with pork. So that's my rule Britannia. <laughs> that's much better. In my head, it's just like, yeah. I mean, I'll just say, I would never sing rule Britannia over here. But if I needed to, that's what I would be singing. <laughs> yeah, so out of everyone, you have good cause not to sing it. My only other note I have for this minute is from the draft script. This scene actually doesn't happen in the movie theater. Uh, at this point, Snake has already left the theater and enters a brownstone. And this scene happens in the brownstone. And uh, Buckflower is not getting beaten when Snake finds him. He's just sitting huddled in a corner. And here's the best part. He holds a bottle of an awful-looking brown liquid, is what the draft script says. By the time they got to the shooting script, however, it had been changed to an awful-looking yellow liquid. Oh, I don't know what's worse. Mm. <laughs> oh. <laughs> mm, both are unsettling. Yes. Yes. And so, un- a... so unsettling, Carpenter obviously decided to remove all <laughs> colored liquids from the shot because it's not actually there. That might have been, like, a call on the day when, like, Carpenter and Nick Castle were both like, I'm dying, it needs to be brown, it's gonna be yellow. <laughs> and then, like, George Flower came in and was just like, Phyllis, Phyllis, why don't we have a guy kicking my whole goddamn head in instead? <laughs> and you don't even need it. And a masterpiece was created on that day. <laughs> yeah. Before we do move on, though, I just I had in the idea of place, because I know it's supposed to be in the movie theater. Uh, but it doesn't feel like it is. It feels like he's gone down to some subterranean lair where, like, people live down there and they're huddled together like like the people in Terminator in the future. <laughs> you know, it seems too big. This doesn't seem like the basement of a movie theater to me. Yeah, I mean, they did. I mean, I, I think you're right. There's that overtone to it. It's got a bunker sort of a feel, which is why it's, it's sort of strange. Um I just consider that this was a really large theater, and that's why I bought the size. Uh, And I think it's interesting to me that because it's a theater, we have this association with it being quite grand and lovely, and you have several tiers of just weird shit happening, and then people just, you know, huddling together and existing very independently or... You know, even predatorily that we saw a couple of minutes ago where you have small bands who are waiting for somebody unsuspect to come down for them to, you know, nick something out of their pockets or what have you. So it's it's interesting that this place is 
And I think, Eric, you had mentioned that part of what people could be coming into the theater for is is a bit of sanctuary as well, that they have to pay a couple of cans of food or something to be able to, like, hang out. So not exactly, like, the safe way here <laughs> at all, even though there's there's the basement. But, yeah, that's why I kind of bought it. I had a high school that um, had, like, a crazy cavernous basement to it that was kind of – I was going to say it was kind of kind of scary like this, <laughs> but not like this because there weren't – well, they, they weren't people like That's, this that you got. Not safe for kids. Ha ha ha, public school. Um, <laughs> but uh, large in that way. So that's that's why I ended up buying it. But yeah, it, it is a little bit strange in that it does have that uh, uh, yellowy pea liquid vibe to it. Yeah, I think uh, stuff here is just smaller. and It always confuses me. American things, they're too big. There's more people over there. Well, everything's new here, too. And, you know, I th- I think that... And that's, I mean, just total side note in, in going over to the UK and to Europe. I was, I was continually amazed about how small things were. You know what I had, though, was that I had to look up the guy playing um, Cronenberg, the, the scientist who was like, oh, maybe it was just a fault in the system. So I had to make sure that he wasn't related to Jim Parsons in some way. Because, like, I don't watch the big bang theory but like i'm a person in the world so i'm I'm, i've seen like seconds of it where it's been forced upon my person but like his delivery really struck me as being like that sheldon guy from big bang theory so i was like i wonder if he's related to him maybe it's like his dad or something and it turns out it's not but like does anyone else get that from (laughs) just from the guy's delivery at all or is it was it just me i know he's just got this it's just the way the way he delivers the line it's like yeah that's yeah that's that's really it really struck me as been a similar sort of cadence that he has in his in his speech. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna rewatch it now. You've said that. I'm gonna keep that in mind. Jesus. I mean, at the end of the day, it will be a useless note because apparently he's not related to him in any way. No, but it's valid to have that reaction to be like, oh, you really rem-. and you know sometimes when we have those reactions, it turns out that it completely pans out. I think for me, I thought it was kind of funny that you had one guy who freaked out completely. The other guy is like the voice of reason. It's like, oh, you know, maybe that is the guy that always freaks out in the office. You know, like they have this whole backstory that there's the one guy of, of reason of like, oh, maybe this is something that just had a high impact and fucked up the mechanism. And, and he's always the guy who just like thinks ahead and he's really calm. And then you have this guy that, uh, you know, really like high maintenance emotional guy, you know, the, the one guy in the office who's like super reactionary. I, don't think, I think I would love to play that highly reactionary guy. You just get there, like the, the shirt sleeves rolled up and the tie akimbo, like, oh, God damn it. That is me at the office. <laughs> 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 like, I related to that. like a chain smoker, but only when he's in work. It's just the outside. Oh, yeah, yeah, way, yeah. Way calmer, <laughs> but. I don't know. People seem to have a wrong idea of me at work. They think I'm chill, and I have to explain to them, no. No, it, it, work around me for more than 20 minutes and you you will see. Like, oh, John, you're so calm. Like, God damn it, I told you to get it done five goddamn hours ago. The first time I throw my stapler at the wall in the day is when they go, oh, okay, he's crazy. But maybe that's not a bad thing. Maybe that just asserts some level of good boundaries, you know? If they come to you, then they really need something from you. They're not going to come to you for bullshit. So maybe there's something to that. There's there's something to your strategy in the in the workplace. I, that's how I'm going to view it anyway. I'm going to pretend that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so we end up this minute uh, with Snake calling back to Hauk 
And like much management, they don't know what the fuck is going on because he's got this great line. I don't know who you assholes are looking at, but it's not the president. At least he's honest. It's true. Do you realize you tracked down the guy who rode party plane? Like, oh my God, he's much more important. Let's get him back here. Stat. Yeah, screw the president. We want this guy. He could be the new president. <laughs> I mean, he's, got the, he's got the song down, at least. Well, a bit of the song. <laughs> oh, yeah. He is certainly more qualified to be president than I am currently, anyway. Well, he's more qualified than ours, too, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'll, I will say thank you for uh, allowing me to, <laughs> the opportunity to research uh, this actor, because like, now I'm almost like, I want a portrait of him up in my room. Like, he's just. I wish he'd had some kind of connection to Batman, because we could have just gone on about him for the next two or three years on the show. Wait, well, did he? He wrote Party Plane. There's a guy from Batman in Party Plane. That's all we need, John. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, also, according to his IMDb trivia, he was friends with Charles Napier, oh. uh, who was that guy oh. from, uh, you know, Austin Powers, like the, and feed my fish, but not too much. Like that guy who's in like loads of stuff, but like Charles Napier, Jack Napier, it's all right there. We can connect this guy to Batman a million ways. Well, Niall, thank you for bringing the uh, the Buckflower knowledge to the table, because obviously he's a badass. I feel like we should go to his grave and, you know, bring some flowers and like a bad VHS porn <laughs> video and, you know, and a stuffed bear or something. Ooh, yeah. I'm going to commiserate the anniversary of his death every year. I might make a podcast just about his movies. <laughs> Oh. oh my god, how amazing. Flowercast. That'll be like the title uh, Bucking the Trend. Well you wanna hear something you wanna hear something crazy, people. We're recording this. We're, we're, I, I, I know we're not supposed to do this in MXM world, but the date is June sixteenth as we record this, and Buck Flowers died on a June eighteenth. Oh <gasps> Niall, Niall, come over from the eighteenth. Two days ghost talking. Yeah. <laughs> Buck Flowers Day. I'm going to also make it my headcanon uh, that in uh, Scott Pilgrim, uh, Ramona Flowers' dad, that's George Flowers now. Like, that's like, if they ever have to do a backstory for that character, her dad was this actor from Escape from New York who also Damn. wrote a bunch of porn movies and stuff. And that's why she's so effortlessly cool, because she's related <laughs> to this guy. Cosine. All right, guys, uh, please tell us where on the interwebs that people can find you. We are everywhere. You can't get rid of us. We're like a bad rash. If you just look up Bat Minute, we, we come up everywhere. We're on Facebook. Uh, we're on Twitter, Instagram. Uh, well, I don't know. We've got a million. We've got a Tumblr that we never, ever, ever use. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. So, yeah, just look up Bat Minute or Bat Minute Podcast if you want to be really precise. Yeah, send, send us messages. We like to chat on Twitter. And thank you guys for joining us for Minute 37. You can follow us on Twitter also, NY Minute Pod. Also, we have a, a fine Facebook group, Brains Library, the Escape from New York Minute Hangout. Um, I just want to give a little thanks to Eric because Eric has been hustling guests and has just been really great about keeping organization and just kind of keeping shit together. So I just wanted to give like a good thanks to Eric Deutsch as we close this out. Who's that? Some loser. I don't know. <laughs> Who's that guy? <laughs> and uh, on that happy note, well, it's you, and you do a great job, and I really appreciate it. And you do a lot of work in just keeping us on track and 
keeping the spreadsheet and uh, keeping the compass of the show, and I really, really appreciate it. So I think uh, it was time to give a little shout-out to you. Oh, so. stop. Now everybody's podcast feed turned red for me blushing. No. No. So with that feet blushingness, uh, be on time, stay out of the sewers, and we'll meet you on the other side of the wall. Mm-hmm.